Hi everyone, Lucy Kippist here. I'm the editor of Flying Solo and this episode is brought to you by Flying Solo's Premium Membership, a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out from the crowd, all for just $99. Head to our joining page to find out more. Kristen Badger is the founder of Finneva, a financial services company founded to provide women with a real advocate as they negotiate their financial life particularly following big life transitions like divorce, death of a spouse, or coming into an inheritance. Kristen founded her business as a startup with the intention to change the way financial providers speak to, advocate for, and serve their women clients. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Pleasure. So I love the space that you're working in because it is absolutely essential as a woman in her early 40s and knowing the types of life changes that happen around the women in even in my own life. Um, this is such an important and exciting sort of area. You started your business after a considerable career working in the corporate space. What triggered the change to the small business? Yeah, I've, I've spent a long time working for larger corporates such as Deloitte, but I've always worked in the private client space and working with families and privately owned businesses. I find that a lot more interesting. And I guess it was my experience working with them over the last 20 years in the financial services industry, seeing firsthand the barriers that it can create for women engaging with the industry. And those things are ranging from the language that's used to the lack of transparency and structural issues. And I guess that's what really motivated me to found Finnebar. Um, the Royal Commission that was going on at the time, the Banking Royal Commission, kind of also mm. further strengthened my resolve to uh, build an offering that was really focused on independent guidance and transparency, as well as addressing what women really wanted. So I guess it was a combination of the timing as well. Absolutely. Very good timing. And we're going to get a bit in, we're going to get a lot into the detail of, of what women do want. But I think it's important to note at the beginning here that it's not that we think that women can't handle the idea of their finances, far from it. But I guess it's that, that traditional model of how we talk about them can not necessarily appeal to the inherent, you know, um, I suppose the relationship that women might have with money, particularly as they went on to have a family or, or whatever it is that changes their circumstances. Um, I will get into that in, in a little bit with you, but I, I'm interested also in the name of the company because how did you come up with the name Finneva? Am I saying that correctly? You absolutely are. And I Great. guess it's a, it's a made up name. It came from two words, financial and discover, uh, with an I at the center, um, which represents integrity, which I saw is the centre of everything that we do. It kind mm -hmm. of, when I wrote it down, it also looked quite nice and balanced. And it uh, does. It really is <laughs> a reflection of what we're trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good way of coming up with it. And, you know, integrity, such an important word and such an important word, especially when it comes to, to finances. So, when we spoke, as we were preparing for the podcast, you said that your intention was from the outset to do things differently with your company. Um, and you mentioned that you even attended a, a growth accelerator for startups in order to build the business. Can you tell us a little bit about what led to this decision and a bit more about what the accelerator process enabled you to do? Yes, I guess I realised uh, from the beginning that I was at a bit of a disadvantage as a founder in that I was building a business to solve a problem which I personally didn't experience but I thought I had the solution for. Uh, 
Um, so I was very well aware of the need not to jump to the solution, but to kind of go through a process of testing the idea, testing the business hypothesis, and most importantly, talking to potential customers. Um, and I guess the accelerator helped with the structure for that process. Um, and the outcome from that was that it led to a better understanding of the issues um, that uh, women were facing, but also I, I came up with a different solution based on that feedback um, before I'd kind of invested too much time and resources in my initial idea. So I guess that's important for all businesses to listen to customers. Absolutely. And I guess there's a bit of debate about how much customers know the answer. Uh, I don't think they always know the answer, but they generally know the problem better. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think just to backtrack a little bit, um, a startup accelerator sounds exciting and a little bit confusing to someone that probably hasn't done one before. Can you give us a little pricey of what, what it was that was that you did? Is it essentially like a really intense sort of period of coaching for your idea? Is that a good description? Yeah, look, I think the thing is there's such a range of different accelerators. There's programs that are funded by venture capital and so they take a percentage interest in your business idea before you've even gone through the process. And some of those can be very intense and last for six months to 12 months. Um, the program I went through wasn't one of those. So I, I wasn't willing to give up any of the equity in the business before I'd even got it started. So mine mm. was really more focused on education. So it involved a um, going to classes. There was some online learning and some face-to-face -face classes and they were uh, during the evening. Uh, it, once a fortnight for about three months. And that was with a group of, uh, there was probably between eight and 10 other people in each kind of intake. So mine was specifically mm. uh, to help females get into tech as well. So it was all female founders. And then at the face-to-face the -face sessions, there was experts that came in from different backgrounds. So I learned a lot about the tech space as well, which uh, was all new to me. I'd, I'd had a extensive experience in business, but uh, we met with someone that explained how coders and developers write code and where they store it. So mm. it wasn't about as a founder, you need to be able to write the code, but you need to be able to talk their language and understand yep. uh, the legal side about who's written the code and where it is and what you have access to. So that was eye-opening for me. Yeah, and I mean, that the tech side of any business, because the nature of technology being that it just changes so much, um, I can imagine at that startup phase how overwhelming that can be without a, a little bit of coaching. Actually, a uh, some another guest that's been on the podcast um, a while ago, Kate Southam, was mentioning to me that what she does when she's running um, a, a new project of any kind is has a has a notepad that's specifically for the tech questions that pop up either as she's talking to the tech person or as she's moving through the build and the, the her own questions. And I thought that was such a good idea because it sort of keeps it in that separate pile because I think what can happen as you're building a business is you've got your great idea, but then obviously you've, you've got to create it. It's got to have a platform of some kind. So I thought that was an excellent tip of hers to just sort of separate it even in your mind so that anytime you have a question, you can go back to that to that notebook or the notes in your phone or wherever you want to keep it. Um, yeah, just sort of throw that in there for anyone considering the, you know, that overwhelming side of, of the tech side. But, I mean, in the end, technology helps us to do what we love without worrying about the other details. So, obviously, it's incredibly important. Um, yeah, absolutely. But the tech side, 
two interesting things came out of that from my perspective. One, my business is helping people understand the language of financial services. And even though I've always spoken that language, in learning about the tech language, I kind of, it's a different industry, but I got to experience mm. what it feels like when you feel like someone is talking a different language to you. Great. So that was really helpful point. as I built the business. Yes. And I guess the other thing that came out of it is my initial idea was, was a very tech focused solution. And in talking to the customers, uh, because I deal with a slightly older customer base, but also their needs at that time, they actually said, no, we don't want that tech solution. So had I mm. raced to that solution and built the whole thing, I, I would have, you know, lost a lot of money on the process and then come back to where I, I was. So I guess the accelerator helped me kind of clarify that by having a more structure to the process. Yeah, that's a that's another great point. That the idea, the importance of having an incremental strategy as you're growing and listening to your customers, which yeah, as you say, is so important. Um, so from the outset, you stated that you know you wanted to do this business differently, so you approached it through that startup accelerator with that in in mind as well. I'm wondering if that philosophy extends to the other elements of your business, like the pricing structure, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, was very keen to show that the industry, it, things could be done differently and I and I had to lead by example in that way. So um, Finnever is quite unique. Uh, firstly, and most importantly, our interests are not aligned to any other organisation. We're aligned to those of the interests of our clients and this means that we take no commissions, no referral fees from advisors, uh, we charge an upfront fee for service and it's usually a fixed price for the work that we do and there's also no ongoing fees. So that was really fundamental to what uh, I was building. Um, we also have a strong belief that knowledge brings power and so our advisor referral service doesn't just provide clients with connections but we actually go through the process of explaining to them the advisor's experience, their business model, their range of services, their approach to providing advice. And all of that leads to an understanding about potential conflicts and limitations. And um, that helps people negotiate and understand the arrangement better when they choose the right advisor for them to have that information. Mm. We're also specifically focused on the needs of women, which is, is quite different um, to other providers. And we kind of use technology to improve access to our service. So our initial consultation is often delivered via video conference technology. Um, and we've found that that makes people feel more comfortable in that they can have the chat in their own home, but it also reduces the need to travel or take time off work or arrange childcare, particularly because they've often gone through one of these life-changing events where they've had to visit lawyers and a number of other professional services yes. providers. This is one less way um, that we can make it easier for them. Yeah, that's a, I mean, finally, that's a sensational uh, thing. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> that's, where, that's okay. Um, so that's where we've used technology um, that clients did tell us they wanted. Um, mm. But, yeah, we also are, are about assisting our clients um, more um, so than just our, our, our clients but being part of a global movement using business as a force for good. Um, so we've partnered with the Economic Security for Women Alliance, which is a national alliance supporting economic well-being and financial security for women. And we're also working on some partnerships with some other um, not-for-profits that are around supporting women to become financially independent. Yeah, fantastic. There's some amazing initiatives around at the moment. Um, 
I mean, on, and on that point, so a recent ASIC study showed that 56% of women intended to seek financial advice in the next 12 months, and that's a 10% increase from, from last year. What do you think accounts for this growth in demand of financial services for women? And obviously it's global with these other things popping up as well. Yes, absolutely. So um, globally there has been an increase in, in women managing wealth and it's as a result of demographic, economic and technological changes that's kind of increased women's financial strength and independence. Um, women in the US already control US $14 trillion of personal wealth, which is 51% of the total, so over half. Um, mm -hmm. And the Centre for Economic and Business Research um, in Britain predicts that by 2025, 60% of the wealth will be in the hands of women. Wow. So the reason for that is a number of factors. Uh, obviously, there's a rise in female labour force participation, which is, is one factor. Um, females also are generally receiving a more equal share in the event of a divorce than in the past. And mm -hmm. the fact that women tend to live longer, it means that they therefore acquire wealth from widowhood. So it's a combination of all of those factors. Um, but interestingly, with the ASIC research, which was only recently concluded, whilst it showed that there is a rise in the women that intend to seek advice, it also showed that there is a greater proportion of women, 62% compared to only 38% of men, that considered getting advice in the last 12 months but didn't go ahead. So I guess mm. that whilst there's an increasing intention to seek the advice, there's clearly a number of barriers that can prevent people from proceeding. And that's one mm. of the things at Finova that we try to focus on to kind of break down some of those barriers to improve women's financial capabilities and, and confidence. Absolutely. And, I mean, when you're talking about um, from the beginning there about how women, the reasons that women are approaching financial services being these massive life transitions, I guess one of the, one of the points there is that in dealing with something like a death of a spouse or a divorce or something of that magnitude you're you're so busy dealing with the emotional aspects and obviously the the impact on your children if you have them or the rest of your family that that sort of there's I'm sure that's a barrier as well that sort of emotional energy that's required to get you through the these kind of times in your life that that just seems like yet another thing to do um I know that you've identified trust as being one of the most significant things um, that women look for when they're finding a financial advisor. I thought that was a really interesting point. Do you think that women look at trust differently to men or is it that we just manifest the way we trust the people that we put in charge of our money in a different way? Yes, I guess it's really interesting. There's been a lot of research on this in the last uh, few years because of the growth in women managing wealth. And so women definitely, the research is telling us that they do define trust differently. And so um, research even conducted by Ernst Young in 2017, they did a, a women and wealth um, project, which showed that a firm's reputation and clarity over fees and commission were important drivers of trust for both men and women. However, men placed a greater emphasis than women on that reputation, so the name of the brand. Um, women, on the other hand, placed a greater importance than men on transparency of performance, so how well they had done as a a fund manager or investment advisor, and the ability um, of the advisor to actually understand and commit to their goals. 
um, as well as clear explanations of investment decisions and advice and that ability to have an interaction with an advisor in person. Um, and I guess that's interesting as we look at the development of robo-advice and things. Uh, mm. Women aren't against using those kind of, of, of methods, but there is a tendency that that interaction is really important to them. Yeah, and I just wonder sort of in your in the research that you did too, whether it's sort of, you know, we're fine to manage things, um, you know, remotely after the first sort of meeting. I think it's important to get that sense of a person. I can imagine that that's sort of an important consideration. Absolutely. And and it links into that ability to make sure that they understand what your goals are. And I guess because in the industry in general, there are far more male advisors than there are females. So often it's it's getting over that gender as well to make sure that they understand it from their perspective. Mm. Mm. So interesting. Um, what? So what are the other factors that you found that are important in addition to the idea of trust? So obviously meeting expected performance is important to both men and women. So if the advisor said, you know, we'll achieve a 7% return, that's in a very important part of, of what um, both men and women are looking for. But again, that research by Ernst and Young showed that women place a greater importance than men on the on the advice being targeted uh, to uh, the advisor kind of having an understanding of what their needs are and targeting the advice specifically to that. And mm. I guess there's other global research that shows that 67% of female investors globally feel that their wealth manager or private banker misunderstands their goals and can't emphasise with their lifestyle. So mm. we've probably got quite a way to go there. Um, yeah. One of the things that we try to do at Finiver is work with those one-third of, of, you know, of women that feel understood and the advisors that are working with them because there are definitely some great um, advisors out there doing that, but it, it's really been a focal point of what women have said that they wanted from advisors. Um, yeah. There's also um, factors such as value from the fees and, and transparency as well as clear communication. And that comes down to, again, a bit of the language used. Mm, absolutely. And, um, Kristen, how sort of what's the average age of a typical client for you at the moment? It's been interesting as I've grown the business. Divorce and widowhood and inter inheritance most commonly occur between the ages of 40 and 60. However, I work with women of any age where I see that we can deliver some value to them. But uh, I guess the age of the client base had an impact as well on the technology and the way um, that I market the business as well. So mm. it was important mm. to understand that demographic of the client base as well. And how are they? How are most of your clients finding you? Is it word of mouth for you? Is it through your website? Combination of both? Yeah. So clients can contact me through the website and. I kind of offer an obligation for initial discussion if they do because obviously you need to be able to assess if, uh, are, are they someone that we can assist and mm -hmm. um, am I the right person for them as well. Um, I've also kind of cultivated an extensive professional network um, through my past career and I get referrals from family lawyers and estate planning lawyers as well as various organisations that assist women through separation. So um, they could be counsellors and they could be collaboratively trained practitioners um, that help with family law matters. And, and there's a number of networks and blogs for people going through these experiences. And um, many lawyers that I've worked with, they see the benefit of 
our service because of the independent nature of the offering that, that we're providing and the fact yeah. that we kind of can support their clients to improve their financial capabilities, which can assist them in not only settlement negotiations, if it's a family law matter, because then they have a better understanding of what their cost of living might be going forward, but it can also help to reduce their client's anxiety about their financial future if they have somebody earlier on in the process helping them so that they can get an understanding of the full picture. Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose that's where the advocacy falls into place as well, because while you're educating women at that point in their life, they have the rest of their life to to keep going. So they, you know, the more information and yeah. education you can get at that point, the better, obviously, they will be for the future. Um, yes, absolutely. That's such, that's such an interesting area of, of business. I'm quite fascinated by it. And I, I'm just wondering, just in terms of your own personal business goals for next for this next year, 2020, do you have anything in mind that you're really hoping to tick off for this year? Yeah, I guess as a, a small business um, with a kind of unique service offering that's different to other people in um, the industry, I've got a small marketing budget. So uh, one area of focus for 2020 is about creating a greater awareness of the service offering, what it is and how we can help. Um, and that's really key because it is a different offering. Um, you know, when I'm talking to lawyers, they, they obviously speak to a lot of financial planners, but I'm not the actual planner. I'm just helping people through that process. So um, it's very important that I can get it out to a wider range of, of people. Um, any small business, it, it is about making sure that you're getting um, in touch with the right people to grow your business. Mm, absolutely. Because without that, there is no business. Um, yeah, that's an important exactly. thing. And what is your greatest support in terms of building the business? So I'm sorry, I should have asked this at the beginning. When did you actually start this process of building the business? Look, I started 15 or so months ago um, mm -hmm. and there were periods where it was really intense as I was going through the accelerator program and then there were periods where you've got to take a step back and look at things a bit differently. So um I again started the business using my professional network that I already had and then realised very quickly how, how quickly I needed to grow that to support the business. Mm. And it is a bit unique in that I create essentially a two-sided marketplace because I need people to refer clients into the business, but I also need to have people to refer them to. So um, the due diligence process that I go through with advisors is quite lengthy and so that can take a lot of time to get a number of people kind of through that that process so that I have the yeah. right advisors. And that ranges from sole practitioners that are very good at helping um, clients go through a, a budget process all the way up to a large investment bank that's appropriate for somebody that's coming into a larger pool of, of capital. Um, so I, I guess, you know, it's it's been over, over that time, it's been a crazy year and a half really mm, to, to build it and I'm hoping to consolidate in that next um, year I guess in terms of you know the business and, and, and growing it. Yeah yeah gosh to think you've done all of that in 15 months is pretty remarkable congratulations and I just wanted to tie off by you know given that you you've just jumped in there and worked seriously hard what would your advice be for someone who might be listening to this with a with a business idea in mind as of their own, what would what would you say to them as they're about to take the leap this year yeah, into their new business? The, 
the first thing I'd say is do your research on the market opportunity, really understand who the competitors are, what people do, how business is done in that industry if it's if it's not something that you've had experience in before um, and really, you know, understand what the customer wants uh, and, and, and don't be afraid to do something different. Uh, I think what uh, has helped me with the business is that it is a unique service offering. If I was doing the same as other advisors in the market, you know, you really wouldn't stand out. Um, it's got the drawback, obviously, that you need to make sure people know what the unique offering is. Uh, but, mm. you know, there's, there's doing something a bit different to the market can be scary. Um, but I, I definitely, um, think that it is the way to make some changes if, if you don't think, you know, whichever industry you want to move in, if you think that there's something that could be done better or there's a need to provide a service a bit differently, don't be afraid to um, take that leap and do that. Fantastic advice. Kristen, it's been um, excellent speaking to you today and thank you so much for sharing all that information. Thanks a lot, Lucy.